Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Welcome back to Fit Body Fit Mind and today I have with me performance therapist and strength coach Dr. Jen Hosler. Jen, how are you doing today? I am great. Happy to be here. Thank you for with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's going to be a good chat. Based on, you know, the the kind of preamble before we started recording us, I, I think this is going to go pretty well. So, with that yeah. in mind, I'm going to ask you a nice open-ended question to start with as I tend to do with with my guests that I have on. What does fitness mean to you? Um, I like that you ask it, like, what does it mean to, because I was just telling you right before we recorded, like two days ago, I talked about fitness. And I think like a big message that I like to, I guess, convey on social media is making fitness like work for you and having your own definition of it. So the fact that you even asked that question just makes me really happy because we get these ideas, (laughs) we get these ideas in our head that like, we see people who we define as quote unquote fitness people and we're like, um, I have to be them to be healthy and that's like what it is. But like most of those people in our heads probably look successful just because they've taken fitness and adapted it to what they want for their lives. So for me personally, fitness is just like a tool to make me a better human. Um, that's kind of really what I like to use fitness for. I'm not necessarily into fitness for fitness sake. Um, I used to pursue it and think like I needed to be this fitness person who was like, I don't know, waking up at 4am to go get workouts in and like going for jogs for fun on Saturday mornings and spending the night Fridays at the gym and like giving up pizza forever. Like all this stuff was in my head of like what the fitness identity is. And every time I tried on that identity, it just was like, it didn't fit. And I never was consistent, like all of these things. And I had to do a lot of unpacking and relearning about fitness in the last 10 years. And for me personally, it really just comes down to how can I make myself feel amazing? And then how can I make sure that I am still able to do the things that I want to do 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I'm big into kind of looking at like decades down the road and making sure that I'm doing now things that will make sure that I can still do things I want down the road at those times. It it ties in really nicely with, and it always makes me happy when something ties in nicely because then I think I've made a good decision inviting this person on. I do like to be (laughs) challenged sometimes, but I also like that I'm not the only one who thinks in terms of fitness Uh, for quality of life rather than just fitness for the sake of fitness like you said it's not just for the sake of it whereas a lot of people the end goal at least to start with the end goal is often fitness whereas as that as as we develop a philosophy yeah and as we develop a philosophy around fitness and our lifestyle and so on we realize that that fitness is there a bit like money to then spend on something else it's like a currency that you can spend on your relationships and your hobbies and your work and things like that and adding value to your life overall right yes for sure i always talk about like every time 
when I'm not really wanting to go to the gym, which is way more often than people think. Because I think most people would still consider me a fitness person since I do spend a lot of my life talking about it and learning. Yes, I think they probably would. (laughs) Yeah. So like I still am like, I'm not a fitness person. Like I actually just don't even feel like I am. But I I know I am to most people, so it's okay. Um, But when I don't even know what I was going to talk about there for a second. You're saying about uh, about not always wanting to go to the gym. Oh, yeah. So when I'm not wanting to go to the gym, I think, okay, well, really like my whole goal going in there is like, Every rep is putting a cookie in the cookie jar, and that cookie jar is something that I can pull from when I need to. So mm-hmm. when I am like going to try to load my groceries and carry them all in in one trip because I live in an apartment and I hate going back for yeah. another trip, and um, or things like when I'm 70, I want to go for hikes. Like I still want to be active when I'm older, and that's like some of the motivation that I use is like, maybe my workout will completely suck. Like I'm not in the ballpark of, yeah, like just get in there. Every workout feels better when you're done. Like no, my workouts sometimes don't feel better. (laughs) I'm still like not in the best mood after, which is totally fine. But afterwards I know that like, okay, I got the reps in, I showed up. And even if it was like a small little cookie that I put in the cookie jar this time, that was it's still worth it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, that's it. Is it builds up and then you've got them there, the, those reserves, that capacity is being developed yep. and built so that you can, I like the way that you use the analogy of things like yeah, taking your groceries in and stuff like that, because it is something that, that a lot of people take for granted and, you know, humans tend to do this, don't we? We take things for yeah. granted until we lose the ability to do something. And if, as we get older and our physical capacity declines, like a lot of, like a lot of people, like the vast majority of people, um, obviously go through that then we realize actually we can't do the things that we used to do mm-hmm. and they kind of you we kind of wish that we hadn't let that happen and yes of course there's certain things yes. that we don't have control over but when when we can have an Im- input and we realize actually you know what i took it for granted when i carried my groceries in myself um Although, there's the one thing with that, is it lazy? This is a question. It's a bit of a paradox for me. The groceries paradox, I'm going to call it. Is it lazy to only want to do one trip and therefore carry everything in one go? Or is it lazy to not want to carry so much, but you end up doing more tricks, uh, more trips? Which one is <laughs> actually know. which one is actually more difficult and which one is the easier one? I, I, I've, I think it's like Schrodinger's cat. I don't think we'll ever come to an answer of that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was thinking of that as I was saying it too, because I'm like, you know, technically you just get more steps in that way, but um, I don't know. Also, <laughs> don't then know if you're carrying to too much, then your hands, you know, when they cut into your hands and your fingers, the blood circulation stops because of the bags. Oh, it's just like... I think it's all about how you approach it. Like personally, <laughs> I think for me, it's like a challenge to like, see, can I load my arms up as much as possible and get this in one trip like yeah. it's like yeah, a fun walk. game to play right and yeah. i think actually that's kind of some of the fun that fitness does especially strength training particularly which i'm really big on it helps you kind of like add an an essence of like play into your normal life and yeah. like you start to seek out challenges in your life so like maybe for some people it is about avoiding doing more work of getting another load in I don't know. Only you know the answer to that for your own personal interest. But I know for me, like, I'm like, let me just see if I can 
lift all of this weight and carry it all the way down. And I look absolutely ridiculous to people. I know because they're like panicky when, when I'm going towards the door and they're like trying to help me. I'm like, I'm really fine. I'm like laughing, also dying inside, but it's yeah. fine. Um, but I know that for me, it's like a challenge to see like, can I figure this out? And I think that's kind of one of the things I love about strength training is you start to get stronger and see in the gym, like what you're capable of. And then you start to say, oh, maybe I can do these things. And I I see this happen a lot with my clients too. Like they'll come in with a knee pain or something and they're like, I want to just like, I'm done with rehab or I'm at the end of rehab, but I want to get stronger. Like I know I'm not quite there yet. And I have a client right now who has been working with me for a year and this is actually her. And she like had knee issues with just going downstairs and going upstairs, regular, like normal human things. Yeah. And with strength training and all of that, now she like will go and try to step up on things just to like see if she can and like show off essentially yeah, that like yeah. look at this that I can do and I I just love that like that's a big part of why I love strength training and fitness in general. I think it is a it's it's quite empowering in a lot of ways when someone can re I guess rediscover movements that they haven't done for such a long time and one of the one of the examples of this that I always found when I was working in a functional training gym was that um, people never jump on anything right in everyday life you don't tend to jump on something and since you're a kid but it's such a fundamental human movement being able to jump on something even if it's just like you know a a step or a box that's maybe three inches high it's just like it seems like such a a difficult movement for a lot of people because when was the last time you had to do a two-footed jump and a two-footed landing we don't tend to do it since since we were little and it requires quite a bit of trust it in your really body does, yeah. <laughs> like it, and it's like things when you're younger you're not thinking because you haven't had experiences where you don't trust your body or you just expose yourself to things where you're not really sure what's going to happen so much yes. that your like comfort zone is not so small but as we get older like, I think actually everything with life, if you, I don't know if you've read the article or the blog about entropy. I don't think I have. Or no. if you've heard of that concept. So I love the word. I love I've, I've heard concept. of it from a scientific perspective because I used to be a science teacher. So I, I know it from oh, that. Yes. So it's the, it's the tendency of things to go from like organized to disorganized. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah, yeah. And if we apply it to our health, that is what happens as we age. So without any effort, if you don't do anything, we decline in health, like our range of motion, our joint mobility, our heart health, our brain health, like everything is that way. Also in our life, like our house tends to get disorganized if we're not yeah. constantly putting effort to clean it up, our laundry, all of those things just with life and time, right? Yep. So this is the same with like comfort zones and it can be applied to like relation, like it, every single thing. That's why I love it. I'm like a very big It's like chaos theory, with- isn't it? Exactly. So if we aren't putting effort into it, like stuff kind of declines. Well, I feel like if you as we age, if we are not constantly challenging ourselves just a little bit to keep our like comfort zones or our um, confidence at some like maintenance mode, we have to work to maintain it. Yep. Then we kind of shrink and then we start to be like more fearful of things. And that comfort zone kind of shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. So then all of a sudden just stepping off a ledge becomes more fearful. And then maybe we fall and break a hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like eventually that's kind of the the path that we go down, so. 
Yeah, I think the um, the irony there is that the more we do those things, which perhaps we're slightly scared of, the less damaging the outcome would be, even if we did fall, because yeah. we're in we're in a better state to uh, to avoid injury or to recover from that injury if we've if we've taken those risks more frequently. Um, but yeah, seeing people, you know, you're talking about your client um, there about stepping up and showing off and all the rest of it. It's seeing people who've who never thought that you know when they first start trying to do a very low box jump and then they're just like they can't it's that mental block they know that physically that they can jump three inches in the air they know they can do it but there's that mental block against it and then when they achieve that and and it's just it it's like an an entire wall has come down inside their minds where they go jesus like if i can do this like what else can i do (laughs) right yes i love that too and um my clients because a lot of the um people that i strength train or that i work with in person specifically strength training or women. Like that's kind of my niche because I like working with women. And I also think that, um, I think a lot of people just, I guess maybe don't know how to work with women. I feel like they either underload them or they try to train them in a way that they think women want to be trained. Right. But I kind of work with women to challenge what, all of their like notions and myths and beliefs about fitnesses because I think there's a lot of bullshit. Um, right. Like or, what? Sorry if I'm not allowed to say that. Oh, BS. you can say whatever you like. <laughs> I've heard a lot worse than that on this podcast. Don't worry yeah, about I it. Mean, Let it rip, um, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's just like so much bullshit spewed to women in fitness. And that's kind of like what I love to do is to break that down. Give me an example. Give me an example of some of the bullshit. So things like women should be lifting more low weight and higher ups because they want to tone. Like that's the easiest, like easiest thing to grab because that's common. Like they want to tone, but they don't want to get bulky. Like that (laughs) notion, I cannot even believe it's 2021 and it's still prevalent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's still going. Uh, and the, and the notion of women starving themselves, that one has been probably one of the biggest most recently. The first one I said is easier. Like, it's a little bit more known, but the notion of just like not fueling yourself yeah. and constantly like eating less, eating less, eating less. And the next thing you know, they're like, I'm only eating 1200 calories a day. Like, I don't, I'm starving. I, I don't feel well. Like, I'm not functioning yeah. and their performance is suffering. I'm like, you know, that 1200 calories is like what an active three year old is supposed to eat per day, right? And they're like, what (laughs) (laughs) when you put it like that it is just kind of it it pricks your ears up a bit doesn't it and you go okay now i've got a kind of point of reference that seems a little crazy yeah so like things like that they're driving me crazy and then um i guess those are probably the two biggest ones yeah the idea that you should like beat yourself up in the gym and 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 if you're not sweating burning and like killing yourself it's not effective that's probably a really big one that i like to i think that one's that one's across the board as well yeah that's something that really was a a kind of learning curve for me I, i mean i've been in the fitness industry it's not a huge amount of time but about nine years now and the when i first came in i don't come from a sports background i mentioned briefly i was a science teacher and that was that was the background i was in before i came into into working in fitness and so I you know I don't I don't look like a PT I look like a science teacher and we, yeah. and so I was kind of looking around we need more of you yeah. in the fitness industry <laughs> I know, like, tell we me need about more it. non-normal like whatever that is yeah. in call the fitness it, industry calling me abnormal Jen come on I guess okay yeah. I'll take I that know. I feel like I'm not the normal person no. in the fitness no, industry no absolutely either, so. 
there is a there is a certain like we like we were saying a fitness person and that's not to say that yes. that's wrong in any way but it does it's yes. it's skewed in that direction because of course people who are really interested in fitness themselves and are interested in sports and performance and aesthetics and all of these things they are likely to go into fitness as a career if they are like if they if they love going to the gym and they want to share that love with other people they're going to work in the fitness industry and so it becomes very skewed in that direction i totally understand why that happens um but then it's it can be hard for clients to relate to that and i think that there are some people who are incredibly um you know they're, they're they're muscular and they're they're very aesthetic and they're lean and all of these things and they still have great uh, understanding of their clients it's not to say mm-hmm. that the two are mutually exclusive but there's exactly. so there's when I first joined the industry and I was looking around I'd already been a bit of a victim of you know looking at men's bodies in films and in the media mm-hmm. and stuff like that and going I don't look like that is there you know I should be looking like this because this is what a man looks like and then I come into the fitness industry and that was exacerbated a hundredfold because the people I was working with looked like that as well. And it wasn't anyone like up on a up on a film or a billboard or in a magazine anymore. It was literally people I just I was around. And so I fe- I've started feeling very insecure. And then also the way that these guys trained was very different to how um and I, tr- I tried to emulate that. You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. going like really, really hard all the time. And I would often overtrain or injure myself and um you know, it might be reasons because they had a much longer background in training or in sports or they were using steroids, which improved their recovery or whatever. There's various reasons. Um, but it took a long, long time for me to to find the right kind of fitness for me, if that makes sense. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. I think that's like, that's kind of what I try to convey, like another message that I convey a lot in fitness is that just because you don't see somebody who looks like you in fitness doesn't necessarily mean that fitness isn't for you. It just means that maybe you need to carve away or a path of fitness to make it work for you. And then maybe by doing that, other people will see you and they will be like, oh, they actually look like me. They're not yeah. that different from me. I can do this too. Because yeah. I think for some people having all of those like really aesthetic like the idea of a fitness person, again, like what we're talking about, for some of them, it's really motivating and they're just like, whatever. For a lot of other people, it's kind of like, well, I don't look like that. That's not my life. Like, this was me kind of for a long time too. Like, I don't want to be that fitness person, but I, I want to be healthy. And I, yeah. and I had a hard time trying to figure that out because everybody that I saw, I felt like was doing this like extreme. Like I would say it was like taking fitness to the extreme. And some of that is probably because that that's their passion. They just love it. And yeah, it's yeah. totally fine, you know, but I was like, well, every time I tried on that identity, it didn't work for me because yeah. it didn't match what my goals were. And so a large part of like my practice in fitness has been kind of trying to make it work for me too. like, okay, no, there is like this middle ground that I can find of using fitness to enhance my life without kind of skewing it towards performance. And I'm kind of more interested in fitness for my life rather than for performance, even though ironically, I am a performance therapist, (laughs) which I put on my, on my, um, Instagram handle, but, um, cause it's kind of hard to explain why I'm different than most physical therapists. Um, and that's like the best term I can come with, but I really am more about like, Let's make you perform as a better human. Yes. And I think a lot of fitness 
is let's make you perform as a better athlete, yeah. which is totally fine. But the more like an athlete we become, the less good of a human we become. Like there are sacrifices athletes have to make to be really good at like one or two things in their sport. Yep. And I think that's another thing that I see in fitness uh, misconstrued is that we need to be an athlete or be in sport to be healthy when in reality, most athletes are not super healthy. They are not the epitome of healthy. They actually have to sacrifice a lot and they're athletes, not necessarily um, – they're a little bit less good humans. Humans are actually kind of well-rounded and not amazing at like sure. one thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. So like I, I was chatting to – I did a, a, a podcast with a guy called Daryl Edwards, who I don't know whether you've come across, but I think you'd really <laughs> like him. Um, so he's a, he's a movement coach. He wrote a book called Animal Moves, and he kind of came up with this method called Primal Play. He's a really interesting guy, but he talks a lot about – humans being very very good generalists now he, he talks about it from a kind of uh, an evolutionary perspective and how yep. you know we're if you compare us to the animal kingdom we're rubbish at specifics there's always an animal that can do better than us at mm -hmm. something there's animals which can jump further there's animals which can carry more like ants you know there's animals which can swim better like a you know dolphin but we we can jump better than an ant and we can carry more than a dolphin uh, on, on walking and we can run better right. than this and that. And so we're, we're, we're pretty good at all of it. Um, I think the only thing that he said that we are, that we really excel at is walking more than anything else. We, we're very, very, very good walkers. But other than. We don't do that very often. No, no, anymore, no, by no. The way, which is ironic. <laughs> it really is because it's the one thing that we're, it's the most right. un underrated movement and it's the one that 100%, we're best at. 100%, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're very, very good generalists and athletes for the most part are um they're, they're, they're focused on the specifics a sprinter is not going to be good over distance and conversely a long distance runner isn't going to be a very good sprinter um and then there's going to be very little crossover between you know swimming and jumping and this that and the other and if you were a long jumper and the only thing that you're concerned about is how how long your long jump is then you are yeah neglecting all other all other forms of movement and it can it can put a lot of stress in the body because you haven't done this kind of the 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 other bits and pieces which build a well-rounded physical body. But I mean, like you said, there's other sacrifices you make when you're looking at athletes, and we see the aspirational stuff and the the Olympic games and the medals and the and the body that we aspire to have and all of these things, the money, the fame, um, but we mm -hmm. don't see the sacrifices you know, below the surface where mm -hmm. they have sacrificed social lives and they have sacrificed relationships and they've sacrificed um, other dreams and goals that they had that, that they might have had in order to pursue this one specific thing. Yeah. And, and their joints. Like that's kind of where I come from a perspective too. Like, yes, all of those things, because those are also like under, what's the word, overlooked components yeah. of health, right? Like you're, I think there's like research showing one of the main predictors of health with age is actually your connection with other humans. Like yeah, your, yeah, there your is. social connections. Yeah. Right? And that's so overlooked. So yeah, that definitely gets um, sacrificed, but also your joints. Like it is not normal, nor is it healthy for a shoulder joint to do hundreds of pitches and go into this craned, yeah, crazy yeah. position. Like it's not normal. And if we are doing something that's super repetitive, this is where sport kind of gets to be like problematic is that if you're doing something super repetitive, every time you do a movement, you are loading parts of your body. Yep. Totally fine. Our bodies like can absorb 
enforce really well and they're fine if they've trained to be like that. But eventually you're doing that so much that there's not enough repair and there's also not enough time for you to not load that part of your body. And then it kind of gets, you know, like that whole concept of wear and tear actually does happen a little bit. And then by the end of it, you have a shoulder that probably doesn't feel that great. Like a lot of baseball players, especially pitchers, they have pain all the time in their shoulders and they have they have janky <laughs> without better like science term, but they have like a lot of stuff in their shoulder going on. Yeah. Um, football players. Oh my gosh. Their bodies are so destroyed after they play. Yeah. Um, and I know my husband worked with a couple. Um, he worked with a program where they help retired NFL players afterwards because yeah. they are so unhealthy. And that's actually really a known thing. And they are destroyed and they're in pain. They don't feel that great. Not to mention once fitness becomes something you get paid for and you do it day in and day out, a lot of people that I know, and this is common actually for military people, because I work with some of them, some of them just get so tired of it because it was punishment or it was like they had to do so much of it that by the time they don't have to anymore, they don't, they aren't interested and they're burnt out and they don't want to do anything to take care of their health for the rest of their life. And it's, Um, that becomes really problematic, the mental part of it too. So when I say that about sports, it's not that sports are terrible. It's just, I think we need to not idolize them so much as the epitome of health. I think it's that it's like everything. The truth is in the middle somewhere, isn't it? It's like always. It's not that you're saying that they're bad. It's just that you've got to look at it with balance and you've got to understand there's two sides to that that coin like there are with with all of these things. Um, and, And it shouldn't be put on a pedestal I guess that's what yeah, I'm getting for from sure. what you say. For sure. And like, there's a sacrifice for everything that you become yeah. really good at. And that's just kind of like an understand, understood thing. Also, like baseball players, they are playing so many games during their sport. Yeah. They don't sleep very well. Like they are after the season destroyed, almost yeah. like just tired and exhausted. There's and, a lot of travel involved as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And um, it's very interesting once you kind of get into the, the deep deeper parts of sports, it's not easy Um, but that's why i think they're talking especially for like younger kids on more hey don't get them so involved in one sport so early we need more variability for a lot of the reasons that i'm talking about and variability i would say is like actually one of the most important things for health too there is of course too much variability and not enough but i feel like sports is not enough variability yeah there's a an interesting um an interesting study now i'm trying to i'm trying to remember it and i can see the book i can see the book in my pile of books just over there (laughs) but it is underneath another 15 books and i know that if i try and reach it i'm just going to knock it all over but the book's called spark and it's by a guy called john rayty and it's i love yes right so yeah i thought you'd know about it and i was trying to remember the name of the district that is um because it's chicago around that way wasn't it Yes, it was. I can't remember the name of the district now. I'm sure it begins with an N. But when they changed the physical education in schools to be less sports-based and more kind of fitness-based and like as a well-rounded thing and also from a very individualized personal progress rather than you're good at sport you're athletic and you guys are all going to get picked last there was there was a huge improvement in obviously not only the um the the the, the physical health of the pupils at this school uh, or at the schools in this district but um but also in their 
um, in their academics as well as a result mm-hmm. of it. But there was so much more engagement in physical education when it was fitness and more rounded than when it was sport related. And yet most schools, it's still so focused on sport. And then I think it alienates a huge number of people who then go on into adulthood with the identity of someone who doesn't like being active and they t- they tell themselves, oh, you know, I've never really liked fitness because that yep. was their experience at school. Yep. I actually, when I read that, I was like, oh, I love this because we know that in fitness, the number one predictor, I think, of whether or not you stay consistent with fitness and yeah. exercise is, is if you find something that you enjoy. Yeah. Like you have, there has to be an Which enjoyment. Which seems like common sense, right? Yes, <laughs> but you don't have to. But also, like a, a lot of fitness kind of says the opposite. Like, oh yeah, no, to, absolutely. Like, everything is like hating and sucking, and like I even kind of uh, a little bit contribute to that because I like posted of me doing lunges yesterday, and I was just like, I hate these lunges. Yeah, but so you had much. a dance like, party as well, Jen. So, but exactly, I did. <laughs> it's about so balance. <laughs> Beyonce was definitely in my ears during that one. So, um, but yes, I love that they talked about that because that also predicted, like you said, who was consistent after they graduated and yeah. left high school. Like they showed and they followed some of these kids and they were consistent for like in their undergrad because they learned that when they were consistent with exercise, it was a great tool for them to clear their heads, to get better sleep. And when they were stressed, I love the mental health component that they talk about that because we have a lot of mental health issues right now from stemming from so many different things, but a large part in that I don't think that we teach, I don't think we teach kids from an early on age how to even care for their mental health. I don't even think mental health was a thing until of recent years, to be honest. I see many generations before just kind of ignoring it. Yeah, they didn't talk about it, did they? Right. No. Like, it was like, you go to therapy? Oh, man. Like... That's yeah, not you must good. be now messed it's up. Like, <laughs> no, now it's like, yo, guess what my therapist said yeah, today? Like, yeah. it's like way more uh, accepted, which I love. So yeah. I love that they talked about how the kids learn to use this as like, oh, I'm stuck on a problem. I'm really stressed. Let me go exercise. I always feel better. And it's like this this thing that they do now for those different reasons. And like, if we can get people to do that more often, we would have a lot less problems and a lot of people would be more consistent. And that's like what I love. And then I still unfortunately keep seeing the whole sport focus. And I'm like, how is in school physical education, how is memorizing rules of sports helping me be a better human and take care of my body? Like there's a large disconnect, like you said. And I, I see a little bit of change towards that. And, and the fact that they had like the study and they talked about it in spark just made me really excited. I think that there are some really great lessons from within sport in terms of things like discipline and teamwork and all of these kind of things. Uh, So again, I just, I I feel like, I feel like we're giving sport a really hard time. I know, sorry. This wasn't the intention (laughs) at all. This is what happens when I, when we go into a podcast recording, as I tend to do with very little of a plan of what to talk about. And we just say, just going to have a chat and um, (laughs) we just go off on a massive tangent. But yeah, there are some absolute, but the thing is we're, we're we're giving we're giving it balance by not by saying it's rubbish but but just by saying hey how about looking at it a different way so anyone listening to this who's a sports person or a you know they they enjoy sports or they're a PE teacher or something like that we're not (laughs) knocking you we're just saying that there are other ways of doing it especially because that is like what was focused for so long yeah exactly I like to think of things in the messy middle right so the pendulum has been towards sport and I would like to see it even if you know like it just swung a little bit more towards the middle because 
I also see people who are in sports growing up. And then once they get out of sports, they have no idea how to take care of their bodies. And then they're still under that like sports mode, which kind of part of that was me in addition. So I see that. But also, like you said, sport has a ton of great benefits in the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I know the book. I haven't read it, though. It's on my list. Very great book. She says two of the best things you can put kids in and, and have kids do to learn like adversity and like just like grit essentially right like just like staying and pushing through something that's hard is either learning to play an instrument or sports like those are really important for kids because that whole like learned helplessness and all of that like she talks a lot about those different things i'm not going to go all into it but sport has a lot of benefits too so yeah yeah yeah. i am so glad that i played them growing up the 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 sport thing and the musical instrument thing there as well for for things like neural development in the brain yes. with complex movement patterns whether it is playing a musical instrument whether it's playing a sport um, the 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 actual the actual physical improvements in the hardware of your brain from that not just the kind of the the neurotransmitters and all that kind of good stuff going on in the brain but the the actual hard the hard stuff the actual cells and and everything are improved the neurons in your brain are improved and strengthened and the synapses are strengthened by these complex movement patterns which sport and musical instruments can provide so that's just i mean i again i could go off on a massive tangent about that but i'm not going to yeah Um, Yeah. you're talking about mental mental health and uh, the benefits of kind of staying active and fit and healthy and about how there's all kinds of challenges uh, around mental health um, which we're becoming more and more aware of I don't know whether they're I don't know whether these challenges are becoming more common or whether we're just talking about them more I guess it could be a combination of both but I I think it's fitness whether that is through I mean if you look at all the different components I have all kinds of different components I look at when I when I talk about lifestyle and fitness um there's five particular things that I talk about that I that I think make up a balanced fit healthy lifestyle movement nourishment um mental stimulation recovery and connection and when you're kind of working on all of these things you know movement helps improve your mental health your your nourishment what you eat and your breathing and all of these kind of things it improves your mental health if if you're stimulating your brain it improves it. if you're recovering properly and resting properly and getting enough sleep it improves it if you're connecting with other people and your surroundings and your community that improves it as well and so fitness and i mean i talk about mental fitness rather than mental health because the only reason being mental health is usually used in uh as being synonymous with poor mental health like we only really hear it spoken about in those contexts whereas when we talk about health physical health we understand that we can look at prevention rather than just remedial work mental health i think still gets talked about mostly in terms of remedial or or curing what what has already gone wrong um Mm -hmm. but we still have a huge amount of power to prevent these things from from happening in the first place yes we may have genetic predispositions to things yes our surroundings and our environment are of course going to play a part but our behaviors and our actions can help reduce reduce those risks yeah for sure i uh i love thinking of i think i said this in the beginning of fitness and exercise as like a tool yeah and a lot of people don't realize this but like 
when you exercise, and I think you talked about this a bit in Spark, you have quite a bit of neurotransmitter responses and things that shift in your brain that allow you to think more clearly, that allow you to be more creative. And I like having access to my brain. Like two of the biggest tools for me that affect whether or not I have like what I call full access to my brain is sleep, number yeah. one, and two, exercise. Yeah. And I didn't know this. Uh, I didn't know what was happening, but I know that when I was in physical therapy school, I was sitting at a desk like eight to nine hours a day that I would get in the car, drive home, maybe eat dinner, which usually was sitting down. And then I would sit at my computer and study for the rest of the night until like midnight and go to bed and do it all over again. Yeah. Basically six or seven days of the week. Like it was very rigorous. It was awful. I felt miserable. My body was terrible, but the things that I did, I didn't realize what I was doing was having, I had kettlebells and I had a pull-up bar in my study room. So I had kettlebells sitting right next to my desk. When I started reading a paragraph where it was like rereading the sentence over and over again, and you have no idea what you're reading, it's just like, why is something not clicking? I would like get up, I would go for a walk in my apartment, I'd go do a couple pull-ups and maybe do a few kettlebell swings or something along those lines until I felt, and it would maybe be 30 seconds, maybe even 10, sometimes a few minutes, depending on how long I had been working. I'd sit back down and it was like I was refreshed. And I started to like associate this pattern like, oh my gosh, this like resets me. Now, if I wasn't sleeping the best, um, then I'd have to do it more often and it wouldn't make up for that, but it definitely would give me that little boost. And then I started doing this before exams. And when I was like reviewing right before exams, I would do literal burpees or push-ups right before I would go in to take a test. And I was, I'm always a good test taker, but I was always like one of the first like handful done in the exams. And I really think that was probably because I would use exercise to clear my mind right before. And I think that's something that like if we can just like look at exercise kind of as this really cool tool that we get to use to do things like be smarter and have better access and be more creative for people who maybe aren't as motivated by performance, like that might be something that's way more motivating. Personally, it was for me. So I think you're absolutely I like right. It. I think that you've got to look at, again, if, if people working in the fitness industry can kind of take the blinkers off and open their, like broaden their horizons a little bit when it comes to looking for these different motivators, which will be relevant to different people and different groups of people, then it can really help, uh, yeah, stimulate those behavior changes, uh, whether it's in childhood, whether it's in adulthood or whatever, because different things are important to different people. It's like, you, you know, you can't use the not everyone in a career is going to be motivated by their salary. Some of them are going to be motivated by their impact or, you know, it's the same with fitness. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be motivated by getting a set of abs and other people are going to be motivated by being able to lift more. And other people are going to be motivated by being able to focus more on a, on a kind of cognitive task instead. And if we understand that enough, then we can find the right cues to encourage people to make these behavior changes. Yeah. And there's almost nothing that fitness doesn't help. Like if you haven't read Spark, <laughs> um, read that so you can yeah, kind yeah, of see yeah. that it affects like every part of your brain. And that's like when I say like things like mental sharpness and creativity, like to me, those are like mental like wellness, like it builds resiliency and your ability to deal with stress yep. and like all of those things as well. And to me, that's like the opposite spectrum of what we think of when we talk about mental health, like you were saying, which is usually like the like mental health disorders, yep. like when we have really bad anxiety or depression and like 
exercise does help with those a lot and they talk about that a lot in spark but also like if you're like well i don't have anxiety i don't need to worry about my mental health then maybe you can think of it as like you said preventative where you're trying to create a stronger healthier like brain essentially and a really good resilient mental health yeah anxiety and depression to use those two examples can happen to anyone in the same way mm-hmm. as a heart attack or diabetes can attack, can can happen to anyone and you know you don't go if you're trying to look after your physical health you and 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 trying to be healthy in a preventative way a lot of people wouldn't be going well you know I don't need to eat healthily because I don't have um, heart disease or high blood pressure or cancer or diabetes so I can eat whatever I like and that seems ludicrous when you say it it seems ludicrous uh-huh. because if and, and then if someone said well I eat healthily and I exercise because I don't want to develop diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure or or cancer and and it's just like yeah it won't remove your risk entirely but it diminishes that risk by however many percent depending on what it is mm-hmm. and and so if we can use the same language around well I don't have depression but I want to avoid getting depression if or if I can then that seems like a sensible thing to do yeah absolutely or even if you just want to like be a little bit better than where you are too. yeah yeah like I think that even like not necessarily avoiding depending on who you are maybe avoiding something like that is your motivation totally fine or mitigating your risk for because like you said, you can't prevent things all the time. And maybe the best you can do is just, if it does happen, help your ability to deal with it or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, but also maybe you just want to be a like really strong, resilient human and think really clearly. And maybe that's your motivator. And that's also like valid and important too. So I like that. Um, I like when fitness is approached from, wow, there's a lot of different reasons and everybody's different and maybe finding what motivates you is is kind of the most important thing. And I think it ties in with, with confidence and things like that because For sure. often we find, I think that what we, what we assume will give us more confidence when we start working on our fitness, uh, which is usually an aesthetic thing. Like people go, when I lose a bit of weight, I'll feel more confident or when, uh, when I've got bigger shoulders and arms I'll feel more confident and I can you know all of these kind of classic um things that 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 we hear Uh, and usually the confidence comes about and the self-esteem comes about not from those things at all but from the improvement in other areas and the improvement in wow you know I just feel better and I I feel sharper like you said and I feel um I feel more able to cope with the stresses of life on a daily basis both physically and mentally and that's where the confidence comes from the confidence does not come from a change in the appearance most of the time in my experience anyway yeah for sure I mean I'm sure for some people it is that like you know altercation of what they look like and that's a little bit of it yeah yeah. I think you know a lot of it is wow I went into the gym and physically put myself in this like really crappy position where I don't feel the greatest like nobody will deny that when you're working out you don't physically think sometimes what the heck am I doing here (laughs) and why am I doing this like I cuss my own self out all the time for my own programming and so you know doing that repetitively and then surviving it I think is like oh I did something really hard my body got into this fight or flight mode which is like what happens when we work out And like for some people that is like, wow, this is like, I don't know, not that great. Like if you're not used to it, you're kind of like, what's going on here? 
And then you survive it and you're like, okay, so I could survive that. And then you do it over and over and over again and you start to see, wow, oh, okay. So I tried this thing. I was going to go like lift this heavier weight. I was terrified. I had to like talk myself into it the whole time. This is like me as a coach sometimes having to get people like, I know it's scary hanging from a bar. You're not used to that. You didn't play on monkey bars, but like we're going to do it. And you're just going to get used to hanging on the bar first. And they're like, well, you know, like I'm, I'm really afraid. I'm like, that's okay. Like you're supposed to be afraid. You're the, the point of gym is to do things that you're afraid yeah. of. And then you do them, you survive them. And you're like, oh, I can do hard things, survive them. Or maybe you fell. Like, you know, let's also talk about the fact that like sometimes things go wrong and you miss a lift or you fall and then you survive that too. And like that is where all of the the things that you learn in the gym extrapolate to everything else in your life. And you're like, I can do hard things. I can fail and I can survive and get through them. And that perseverance and like overall grit is really built. And that's where that confidence comes from. I think um, a large part of it, at least, is just doing hard things and surviving. them. <laughs> I think that there's a there's a lot to be said for smugness as well, because as you were saying that, and I think that I think that we don't talk about smugness in the fitness industry enough, because that feeling of smugness when you've done something quite hard, and and you feel a bit smug about it, is is a really powerful motivator, because often it can take a long time to, um, you know, see or feel certain results um some take longer than others you know sometimes you'll feel better in terms of like you know you start exercising and your sleep improves within a week and stuff like that which is great other things might take mm-hmm. weeks or months or, or or whatever but smugness is instant and as yeah. soon as as soon as you go and do I mean, you know you were talking about doing a tough workout and that feeling of why am i putting myself through this it's the feeling of smugness at the end where you go yeah i did it I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. And I feel really smug now. And, you know, just do it for the, if you're not doing it for anything else, do it for the smugness. Do it for the smugness <laughs> that you will feel immediately. That is your reward. Forget about the long-term stuff. It's the immediate smugness that is really pleasurable about the whole thing. I, I want that on like a shirt or something. Like, <laughs> here's my here's my whole fitness slogan. Like, yeah. just do it for the smugness. Do it for the smugness. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, let's, let's bring that. Let's bring that to the fitness industry, Jen. Um, I think I, I like that too, because again, like I said, I focus a lot with women. I still work with men too, but a particular thing I see in women or even also men who kind of are lower on the confidence scale is they don't tend to celebrate their wins very yeah, often. Yeah. And so as a coach... I will like stop and be like, holy cow, that was amazing. Like, did you just realize what you did? And I had like that positive reinforcement because these people tend to also be the ones who are like, if they don't do as well, they're like looking at me like, what's going on? You know, like, tell me what to fix. And I'm like, part of it is just like struggling and not being super successful right away. Like a big part of fitness is just getting in, like we said, putting the cookie in the jar and like not necessarily performing really well and not doing anything other than just getting through it. But um, a lot of the times I have to help people realize that like you're allowed to be smug and you're allowed to be proud and confident of something you just achieved and like take those two seconds to do that. Like that's actually really cool. So yeah, no, I think that people – we're conditioned for the most part a lot of people anyway probably the majority of 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 the people in the world i would imagine are um are conditioned in some way to be quite heavily critical of themselves Mm -hmm. but not particularly like you said they're they're, they they don't cheerlead themselves very much um and so I i don't know i think maybe we're told that it's arrogant to do so where it's not necessarily um i think arrogance is kind of overestimating it's like ego it's overestimating your importance and if you're 
beating yourself up that's also a form of kind of thinking that it's all your fault it's actually not it's 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 other stuff as well it's just the way the world is set up you have to struggle and fail sometimes and it's not your fault and actually that's your ego kind of coming in at the background in a negative way and saying yeah it's all you it's all you whereas in actual fact it's not and to it's it's a it's a weird thing because most people think of ego as being the side of it or the arrogance as being the side of it where it's saying um it's all you when it's a good thing but it can be when it's a bad thing as well or when it's a failure or a perceived failure where your your inflated self-importance is telling you that it's all your fault and um yeah, I feel like I'm just rambling about stuff now and I don't, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going. But bring this back to something relevant, Jen. <laughs> Quick, save me. I do, I do think that we, we really do tend to beat ourselves up more and then just like be more like not, I guess, in tune with celebrating ourselves or celebrating our accomplishments yeah. and being afraid that we're being too egotistical. Like I do see that. And I think that's like the whole disconnect between no, like you can be proud without like inflating that yeah. into something like, oh, I am like the most amazing person. Yeah. Da, da, da. You don't but have to when rub you it in people's faces some- and stuff. Yeah. And like when you do accomplish something, there is a way to do it and, and be proud of yourself. Yeah. Like that does not take away from anybody else that does not it's not inflating yourself that's literally just saying like no yeah. i am worthy of celebrating yeah, my yeah. own self and like you freaking you're, you are like, i think looking at it <laughs> objectively awesome. is is quite useful because if you think would i celebrate this if my best friend had done it yes and and then if you would then you should probably celebrate it for yourself as well um and we do kind of let ourselves go down a few rungs on the ladder of priorities um, when we're looking at kind of friends and family and all the rest of it. And, you know, if our if our best friend does something amazing in the gym or they get a new job or they they do anything which is worthy of, uh, of kind of applause and a pat on the back or whatever, we're the first to do it. And so I think sometimes stepping out of ourselves and looking at it objectively, which can be said for pretty much anything in life, because I think a bit more objectivity in any kind of challenge we're facing in life can be... Can be <laughs> pretty much 99% of the time a good thing um Mm -hmm. if we step out from it and just go right objectively if this was someone else what would I say to them and then if that would be good job then say that to yourself yeah for sure I think I don't know where I heard this and this kind of goes ties in with a little bit of mental health too like understanding that like beating yourself up isn't really productive but but you know celebrating your accomplishments is but one of the things that I like to think of and I don't remember where I heard this from but it was like taking a picture of your younger self and like imagining like that's who you're talking to because there's like an inner child in all of us and really like most of our, I would, for lack of a better word, like less positive or like more negative qualities and things that we tend to do like beat ourselves up are products of like our childhoods. And I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I, I learn a lot and, and work with closely with people and we have to kind of unpack some things um, in my office oftentimes because it contributes a lot to pain and, and, and things like just cultivating habits. Um, and sometimes I like to think of that and I kind of tell people like, what, like, would you say that to this like child in like a picture that you have, or like, think about yourself when you were younger, like most likely what you're doing is what he did or what she did when, when you were younger. And that's just a product of like you trying to navigate the world just totally fine like it worked for you to survive but like now maybe you can actually be proud (laughs) for that younger version of yourself which is um 
interesting. It's a little different, but I like to kind of think of that too. Um, Cause sometimes I think people even still will have a hard time with themselves as an adult thinking they're worthy and all those things. But sometimes it gets easier when we think about our, like ch- our, our childhood version of ourselves. Yes. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's there's something about that vulnerability, which we still have, but we pretend we yes. don't have. Um, yes. But then we can reconnect with that and kind of go, uh, this is this is a vulnerable version of me, which I can't be a dick to. So I'm going to say yes. something nice, right? <laughs> you and, can't be a dick to like a four or five no, year old. Like, it's not cool, you're, like, is the it? Biggest jerk ever, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that I think is a really powerful thing to do. And I think that listening to, like, reconnecting with yourself, you know, talk about connection as being one of the pillars of a, of a kind of fit, healthy lifestyle and it's about connecting with others yeah and it's about connecting with your environment yeah but it's also about connecting with yourself and Mm -hmm. and that is easier said than done and i don't have any answers in terms of like specifics and how that has to be done or anything like that you know Mm -hmm. but there's certain things like uh, almost conversations with yourself whatever that Mm -hmm. looks like to an individual it could be meditation it could be um reflection on your childhood it could be giving yourself praise it could be journaling or whatever it is but a way of getting to know yourself again because i think we lose touch with with who we are we forget to listen to ourselves mentally and physically you know you hear a lot of people say oh listen to your body and stuff like that but people Mm -hmm. have forgotten how to and they've forgotten how to listen to their emotions and they've forgotten how to listen to their kind of themselves mentally as well as physically and so i think it can be a really powerful process to reconnect with that um and to in order to become a bit more content a bit more happy and also um understand what goals you actually want to work on yourself rather than being swept along with what seems to be important to other people and you kind of absorb these goals from other people like oh, i need to look a certain way or i need to achieve this in my career or whatever um but reconnecting with yourself can really remind you of what your values actually are yeah, I, I love that, actually, because I feel like, well, one, I don't even know if people have forgotten how to connect with themselves. I don't even know if people learned that. And it's something, like I said, that's a skill. And I think, again, because there's just like so much noise out there and we're always so busy that we forget to just like take a moment and pause. And essentially, I feel like that's what a big part of my job is and what I teach and what I help people with. And I know that a lot of people don't know what these are, but cars is like one of the tools that I use to help people kind of check in with their bodies and learn how to do that. And if you're not sure what cars are, I'll just give you a brief explanation. They stand, it stands for controlled articular rotations. So it's just taking every single joint through your full range of motion every single day. Um, think of it as like the brushing and flossing for your teeth, but for your joints. So it's essentially just a movement routine. It takes like five or 10 minutes max. Um, if you do the bare minimum and a lot of people have actually told me when they start to do these cars that they feel like it's almost meditative because they start to kind of come in and focus solely on their body and just be 100% fully present. Um, because once you start to learn how to do them, you are literally thinking, what is my shoulder doing the entire time you are moving? And that in and of itself facilitates the ability to kind of be present and check in with yourself and that is something that we just don't do enough. And I feel like that's like just a large part of my job anyways, is getting people to kind of, I don't know, meet their shoulder for the first time. A lot of times that's like our first, um, 
appointment when people come in. They're like, I have shoulder pain. And then I'll assess their shoulder. And I'm like, all right, well, here's what's going on with your shoulder. Like, what do you know about your shoulder? And they're just kind of like, what do you mean? But literally the whole first session is, hey, Bob, like you've got this shoulder. You've been around your shoulder for 48 years. You don't know anything about it. You don't know how it moves. Like you shared a body, but you don't know anything. And so a lot of times I'm like, hey, move your shoulder. The spine moves, the neck moves, something like that. But um so a lot of that is just like learning your body and in learning your body and checking in with your body during these daily movements like cars and or coming and getting assessed by somebody, you're starting to facilitate that skill of like just checking in with yourself and seeing how you feel. And a lot of times when people do these cars every day, they're like, oh, my shoulder, like I know I'm starting to notice that I have this back here and then they start to work on it and it improves or wow, I didn't realize like how stiff and tight my neck was today and actually my whole body doesn't feel that great. Maybe I shouldn't push my workout today. And that's like, there's so many things that you benefit from when you do cars. And I think just most of it is cultivating that whole like self-awareness and checking in again. I think that a lot of people are very mindless with their movement. And I think a lot of injuries that come about in daily life, just from, you know, bending over and picking up a pencil off the floor, it's not because you were trying to lift something that was too heavy. It's because you were being quite mindless about the movement and you you weren't um, supporting your body in a way which which was appropriate for that particular, for the, for the twist that you did or whatever it was. And I think it is because, you know, compared to how we were when we were first born and when we were toddlers, where we were very, you know, we were exploring the world and our movement was very, very interesting to us. It's become second nature to a point where we don't think about it anymore. And it's like when you get in the car and you drive somewhere and then you get there and you realise, oh God, I didn't even know I'd set off. I hadn't thought about this at all. It was so automatic. And that's quite dangerous. And so it's it's the same when you're moving just your body around. It's quite dangerous not to do it mindfully. And I mean, you posted something about form recently and about, um, about exercise form and things like that. And something which has been um, uh, a kind of learning point for me only within the past couple of years is it's not about the form necessarily but it's about the consciousness with which you do the movement because even if you're doing something with which would be considered technically bad form if you're connected and you're thinking about it and you're consciously you know you're cause engaged and you're you're supporting the 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 joints that you're using even if it's not a technically perfect movement you're you're still it's still good movement yeah, and, and to be honest, I'm going to challenge what you said about not being conscious when you're picking up a pencil because this is something that, to be honest, I used to think this way and teach people this way, and now I kind of shift away from that a little bit because I don't necessarily think we need to be conscious of our every movement because can you imagine how exhausting that would be oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. day, right? And so, yeah, yeah. so, and I'm sure like you can explain some other things about what you're saying behind it, but I want to just challenge it a little yeah, bit no, go because- for it. Um, I think that yes, conscious move is important and that's what cars are. It's like really getting you to be conscious of your joint movements just so that you can make sure that when you are doing the actual movement at your shoulder, that's what's happening and you're retraining like your body, how to use your shoulder yeah. versus all of the compensations you typically do. Yeah. Most think- mobility work and the, and the kind of goal for that is let's give your body more options so that when you're doing your daily movements, you don't have to be so conscious and trying to yeah. move perfectly but you can not have to think about it as much because you 
many options. And our brain will take the path of least resistance when we move. So if you're bending over to pick a pencil, pick up a pencil and it throws your back out, it's more likely that your spine just is not prepared for that movement. That was the final load that just like set it off. There's a lot of complicated things that happen. But really the goal is to not have to consciously think so hard. But that is earned through a lot of conscious effort and retraining and gaining back what we've lost over years, if that makes sense. So Absolutely makes um, sense. I mean, that's that's kind yeah. of what, I guess, kind of what I was getting at just didn't articulate yeah. very well. When I'm thinking about conscious movement, I don't think about it in terms of something that you have to do all the time, but more something mm-hmm. that you do to uh, to start, like any habit, you have mm-hmm. to do it consciously to start with and then the more you do it and the more you repeat it it becomes habitual and it becomes um, just like a nervous response more than anything else so when you're you're learning something new you have to you know, we talked about learning a musical instrument for example um, you're very consciously practicing the the movements for playing a particular song on the guitar for example and then eventually you don't have to think about it at all but you're hitting it all perfectly just through an automated behavior so when i talk about that kind of that that consciousness um that's more of a i guess temporary means to an end rather than where you would expect to be you're not going to be moving around like some kind of robot where you're kind of thinking about (laughs) every single every single millimeter of movement every single day necessarily so uh, thank you for pulling me up on that because (laughs) i definitely wasn't clear (laughs) Yeah. And that honestly, that's just like something that I personally pay a really close attention to because my words, when I work with people in pain, like they are taken. And this is something I've noticed just with working with uh, people because I'm a healthcare provider and I have that like license and degree behind my name. My words carry a lot of clout. And if yeah. I don't pay attention to how I'm speaking about things, it can trigger a, a lot of fear. And a lot of pain has more to do with fear than it does with anything else. And pain is not necessarily, it's, it's a very complicated topic. We don't quite fully understand it, but we do know when we have defined it as the perception of threat by the brain. So pain is created 100% in the brain. It's an experience. It's a sensation, just like rubbing your arm. And it is something that doesn't necessarily mean there's damage. Sometimes if we just fear that there could be damage, that actually can contribute to pain. And so I'm really cautious about creating um, fear around movements or things like yeah, that yeah, so yeah. that's just like especially when we're trying like, to get people to move more right yes right that's like what i shared yesterday when i was talking about that like it everything is in the messy middle like paying attention to your movement matters especially in certain circumstances but it doesn't matter so much that you should be like i have yeah. to move perfectly yeah, or yeah, i yeah. can't move because that's also like damaging right like yeah. we need to move so it's the, it's the messy middle like everything that we were talking about so far for sure it's that thing where you know you it it can be that fear of getting it wrong or looking silly and all of these things which are you know big reasons why people avoid doing exercise or going to the gym or anything like that is because they're afraid of not getting it right because we're conditioned to be afraid of making mistakes and all the rest of it mm-hmm. um and form is just another one of those things on that well i don't know how to use any of the weights so i'm just going to go on the treadmill because i know how to do that and they it, it's it's this huge barrier this huge block in between people um discovering more kinds of movement Yeah. And I don't want people like that's kind of something that the more that I kind of work in as like a physical therapist, the more I'm like very interested in public health and like getting, you know, more people into fitness that wouldn't normally. And one of the barriers that I see to that is just, you know, the fear of doing something wrong. 
not just that their fear of getting injured, which is there, but also of like looking wrong. And a lot of fitness, in my opinion, kind of is like, you know, this is the knowledge you need. Like your elbow should be exactly here in this exercise. And I'm like, says who? Like, to be honest, exercises, in, in my opinion, if we really think about what they are, like all the lifts and the exercises, we've completely made them up. Like, you know, we've made up a shoulder press. Like, yes, maybe we did something like that. But like in all reality, like what we've evolved to do is like take a rock and lift it over our head. For some reason, we're putting it up overhead or maybe throw our kids up in the air for fun and play. But like that's going to look different every time we do it. And sometimes our spines are going to be in a weird position and whatnot. So it doesn't necessarily mean like you should not completely ignore things that we want to work towards, right? Because I think having guidelines in our movement and in the lifts is helpful um, in creating the adaptations we're looking for. But like also just not just box yourself in and be like, I don't know enough. I'm not doing it right. And I'm going to get hurt or it's just wrong. So I shouldn't do it. It's like most of the time more movement in general is better than not moving. And there's a lot more freedom in what form can look like than people think. And it's highly dictated by the goal of what you're doing. Um, your own personal anatomy, by the way, a squat for somebody who has a short torso and long legs versus long torso and short legs, completely different looking. They're going to have a lot of different mechanics. So it's dictated by that. And then it's also dictated by your mobility, your injury history, and all of those other things. So your movement's going to look quite different than mine. I'm really crooked, by the way, too. I have scoliosis. Like, for the record, my movements, if I were to show you them, sometimes I, I talk about this on Instagram, they look like, oh, man, that form is terrible. Like, she's crooked. Her shoulders are whatever. But, like, if I hold a barbell over my head, it looks crooked because I am crooked. I have scoliosis. That's expected. But I know my limitations and I know, like, what I'm working towards. Yeah. And I, I mean, when I worked in the in the uh, functional training place that I was working in, I was leading sessions, um, like group sessions, individual sessions, and stuff like that. And the um, I remember in some of the group sessions, I would make I I come up with a particular movement which was a combination of a couple of different things. I just wanted to get these these guys moving in a certain way, and so I'd make something up, and um, I'd have to give it a name because I had something right to write on the board. And um, I remember people saying to me, like, so particular couple of particular uh, members at this place used to laugh because they'd be like, "That's another one you've just made that up. That's another one that you've just made up." <laughs> and I'm like, "Someone's made up all of these. Like, it's yeah, none of, really. None of these. Are, yes, I used to say it. Like, time, who decided like, what the fitness bible was? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like at some point, someone has made up." this movement and so uh like what's to stop me from making up one for today's session like screw you <laughs> yeah i do that all the time too and it's actually pretty funny because my patients will say, or clients will say the same thing like did you just you just made this up didn't you i'm like kind of but that's the point like yeah. coaching is both a science and an art and i love the the interplay between those two things and yeah. um like the real like true fitness is supposed to be guided by principles and then your application of that is individual and very specific to what you want and there's a lot of room for play when you kind of look at it like that and i i like that more because it stops putting people in a box and makes the the whole thing just like (laughs) shatters it and says let's figure out what you want to do and what your goal are and how we're going to get you there yeah, I love the idea of kind of a combination of science and art. I've got a very good friend who always talks about things being combinations of science and art. And I think the first one he was explaining to me was cooking, science and art. Gardening is yes. another one. And it's, I guess it's the same. It's like gardening. It's like cooking. It's all of this stuff, isn't it? Yep. Um, so to 
kind of finish off with if there's any I, and this is one of those things jen i like with lots of people who i who i have on for a conversation i'm a very talky person and we could probably go on for hours about this stuff <laughs> Same. um but if we if we're going to close this off and people listening who are super busy and they're, they're under a lot of pressure at the moment whether it is work pressure home pressure at the moment i mean we're recording this in January 2021 and it's all kinds of crazy still. So it's it, people are under a huge amount of pressure, a huge amount of stress, but they want to find ways of improving their habits and lifestyle to help them cope better with that stress without adding yet another thing onto their plate to contend with. They need it to be small and manageable, um, but they really want to change. What would you say would be you know, your, your top pieces of advice or places to start for, for those people listening? That's such a good question because I think that like having actionable things is really important. And I also yeah. don't really believe in like being like, here's a list of all of the ways to be healthy and like whatever function optimally because I think that's very like elitist. And I just don't really know if we need that much craziness to like feel a little bit better and be a little healthier. So, yeah. um, but like the first thing I'm going to say is just going to be like my bias, but it's also going to be something that I think is neglected a lot. And that's cars, which I talked about at the beginning. Um, and if you want to no learn what those are, you can probably YouTube all of them if you wanted. But I also have a cars guide that I've put together that has them. But it is literally going head to toe through every joint, doing a few repetitions at each joint. And if you are pushed for time, you can do an express version, which is just one repetition because anything is better than nothing. If you do the express version, this takes five minutes. And I know if you spread them out throughout the day, you could do probably all of them in between like bathroom breaks and stuff like that. And all this is going to do is just give you a little pay, like a little attention to your joints, which are something we just ignore or don't know what to do. Everybody thinks we need like stretching or flows or yoga or something. But like this is the like scientific approach to how do I take care of my joints and make sure that like I still have the ability to reach my arm behind my back in five, 10 years from now? How do I make sure that my spine still moves so I don't feel like I'm hunched over in 20 or 30 years from now? And that's the simple thing. So cars is number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, number two would probably just be to somehow break up sedentary like moments in your in your day. Um, and this is something again, that's from my like movement background, but we tend to sit so much and this is more for like mitigating pain, but also kind of getting your blood flowing and things like that. And if you're in one position all the time, um, you're not going to be comfortable. It doesn't matter what that position is. So posture doesn't matter in that there's not a perfect posture you can sit in for nine hours a day and yeah. be okay. Right. So like it doesn't matter if I'm forward or I'm sitting upright. The load is still there and getting distributed through different structures and different positions. It's more about how many different positions can I change into and how many times can I move? So breaking up long bouts of time um, by moving or changing your position is really, really important, even if it's just like getting up and doing a lap or whatever. And then the third one's probably going to be sleep because I think that is really important and extremely under underrated, not just for your health, but also for like your ability to function and have access to your mind. Like I thought creativity, um, emotional regulation, the ability to make decisions and think clearly and um, all of those things are really governed by sleep, not to mention that's your recovery. That's what prepares your body for the intensity of exercise that you do. So if you're not sleeping well, I think people who sleep six hours compared to nine hours are four times more likely to get injured. 
Wow. So the the data is there that we know that sleep is important. We know we're not sleeping enough. The quality and all of the like individual like approach to it's different. So trying to get some better sleep, whether that looks like adjusting your sleep time, maybe that looks like being a little bit more like rigid in your boundaries around your sleep. I know I talked to you about that when we were scheduling this podcast. Yep, I don't yep. schedule anything before 11 a.m. except occasional clients because my sleep's really important and I kind of have to do that or I don't feel very good. And I, I did that a lot in school and it just like wrecked me for a long time. So those are probably my three biggest things. I think if I had to pick a fourth, it would be working on breathing, but, um, cause it's just a really easy thing to do, but that's something we didn't really touch on too much during the podcast. That can and be for the next one. Yeah. So <laughs> breathing's really important too, but it's like a really big topic to talk about and how to yeah. approach it. So yeah, I think I agree, yeah. and it's a much overlooked one. But yeah, it's it's one of those ones where again you can just get into so much. It's something that I I talk about just even just a simple kind of box breathing exercise and just making yeah. it part of your, uh, you know, take one minute out if you're feeling stressed or do it in the shower in the morning or before you go to bed just to kind of bring some consciousness back. But like you said, there's so much more to it if you want to get yeah. into it, isn't there? And- and I talk a lot about just like breathing through your nose because yeah. we do a lot of mouth breathing and that's the chest breathing. So like whenever you think about it, check in with your breathing. Every time you go to change your position or yeah. whatever, stand up, like I said, um, just close your mouth and see how long you can breathe through your nose. Yeah. Like simple as that. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so if if people like what you're about, Jen, if people like the, the stuff you've talked about and they want to kind of look at more of your stuff online and, and see where you hang out, where is, where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, most prevalent on Instagram. So my personal Instagram is at Jen Hostler, J-E-N-H-O-S-L-E-R. I'm pretty present on stories there. I go through a lot of rants and talk about a lot of things. Um, and I try to post helpful content on all the things that we've talked about today. Um, I own a physical therapy clinic and like, I guess, movement related business because I do strength training through that as well and mobility training that is called movement upgraded and we have a Instagram for that as well where we post mostly just like movement mobility type of stuff so I co-own that with my husband who's a Cairo and a strength coach and mobility specialist as well so awesome stuff that those are the two places cool well what I'll do is I'll put the links to that in the description as well so anyone who's listening to this on Anchor or Spotify those links will be clickable um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts it probably won't be because for some reason it just doesn't like clickable links when I put them in but um, you can you can <laughs> find those nice and easy so uh, Jen it's been absolutely awesome having you on thank you so much for giving up some time to chat to me it's been really interesting for me and really enjoyable hope you've had fun as well yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. I love these chats. We probably could have talked all day. Yeah, so. I know. Dangerous, <laughs> dangerous stuff. Yes, it is. But maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we can have another chat later in the year or something, and uh, and and cover breathing. For sure, I'd love it. Awesome. Well, take care. Nice to chat to you. You too. Thank you for listening to Fit Body Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.